and will destroy from thence the king and the princess, saith the Lord. Amen. Doesn't sound good to be Elam. Amen. I'll preach today from this title, Eviction in Elam. Eviction in Elam. Turn to a few people and greet them in Jesus' name as you're seated today. Amen. Power, power in this world is emitted from a throne or an office somewhere. Whether tucked away in some lavish castle or a building or just a, a particular palace, uh, the power is emitted from a throne somewhere. But our founding fathers were fed up with thrones and even the language of monarchs. And so they did away with the proverbial throne and removed the, the so-called crown and gave the term, the name president to the leader of our country. They weren't going to have him king. They were going to have him president. But in, in most of the world, especially at the time of the founding of our nation, most leaders were called kings. They were kings of their nation. And they sat and they ruled from a throne. And whosoever sat on the throne pretty much ruled until their death. Citizens would have been born and died and only to have known one king or one ruler their entire life. And you had better hope he's a good one because that's a long time. It's a long time to be in power and our power here changes, can change every four years or at eight years the most uh, as the office of the presidency. Uh, and so we, we're, we're used to seeing a, a constant change of power. Many presidents throughout our lifetimes, um, but that is so unlike any other time in history. The world and country we live in, and, and, and that is why it is called the Great American Experiment, because it's so unlike everything else that has kind of ever really existed, unlike any other nation in so many ways. The longest reigning monarch that is still alive and on the throne is, anyone know? Queen Elizabeth. She has been reigning from the throne in England for 69 years and counting. The longest in England's history. Think of how London was founded in like 1200. So that's a long time in England's history for uh, one person to be on the throne that long. Queen Elizabeth has seen 14 U.S. presidents come and go. She took throne in 1952. She became queen. And it doesn't look like she's going anywhere fast. But according to one article, Queen Elizabeth is the fifth longest ruling monarch in the history of the world. Only four others have ruled longer on the throne, and uh, she, she will surpass them if she stays on the throne. I think the longest is like 82 years he literally became king when he was four months old, so it's kind of hard to beat that nowadays. Uh, but uh, he was born on the throne and he died on the throne. So I don't know if Queen Elizabeth will beat that, but she's going to give him a run for it. But uh, while rulers rule from their physical throne, 
their power isn't in the actual physical throne. Their power is in them. It's in their name. Uh, and so wherever they go, they can make decrees and execute their power. Wherever the president goes, that's where the nation's command center is. It kind of moves with him. And if the president wants or needs to uh, commandeer your house for his office or for his command center, you're going to have a hard time saying no. First of all, you, you don't want to be here, president. There's much better places. But I, I know that we have a constitution and we have the right to privacy and with the Fourth Amendment, we have the right to be secure in our homes without a government intrusion. But I'm going to tell you that if the government wants your home, there's a pretty good chance they're going to get it. One way or another, if they have to lie, they'll lie. I mean, the government is not a, a they're, they're, they don't uh, live by the word of God. They're the government. Uh, and so that's an example of power uh, to be able to go in and to evict somebody, to, to kick them out and say, hey, this is not your home anymore. I'm taking up residence in this place. Um, and, and so America, in America, the government is supposed to ask before they can take it because the Constitution stands between us and the government. Uh, but compared to monarchs or dictators, they just come in and they take, say, we want this. Uh, and so unless you have a, a greater power, because the greatest power, the greater power is always going to win, isn't it? The same in sports, the best team, the greater team always is going to win in that game. Uh, and so the greatest kingdom is going to conquer and defeat weaker kingdoms. This is not new to us. That has been the way of the world, really, since the beginning of, of the conquered world. And, and so it's only been in the last century or so that we have come to become a little bit more civilized and a little bit more respectful of other countries. Um, but it still happens. Countries still invade other countries nowadays. That's just human nature. They like man, man likes power, and they want, they want more land and more power. Um, and, and so in 2014, Russia invaded Crimea. They just said, hey, we're coming in, and we like this place. We want this as a strategic place. And, and so they took it away from Ukraine, and uh, Crimea couldn't defeat Russia, and so Crimea now is in the hands of Russians. Next up probably on the list is Taiwan. The nation, uh, island nation of Taiwan, China's been wanting to take that back for years. Uh, and what will the world do if they make a move? And it looks like they're um, getting closer and closer by the day. And the only way to stop them would be for a greater power to step up and to say, you can't do that. It's 2021. You can't do that nowadays. We, we live by laws and all these things. And, uh, and what I see, America is the only country that can do that. And if we don't do that, then who's going to step up and do it? The Bible tells us of the last days and how the Antichrist is going to rise to power. And he's going to rule all the nations of this world. He's going to have dominion over all the world. Uh, and then who then? is going to be left to challenge that king of the world. Who's, who's left if he's conquered the whole world when all nations and all people are under his dominion and his authority? Who is left to challenge him? 
I'm glad to know that that is not how the story ends because the Word of God tells us how it's going to end. And there is one that can and who will come and challenge the Antichrist, and his name is Jesus Christ. He is the King of kings, and he is the Lord of lords. And he's going to come, and he's going to challenge the Antichrist, and he's going to dethrone him. That gives me hope that I know how the story ends. It may not look good out there now, but I know how it's going to end. No matter how bad things may appear to be, I know at the end that Jesus Christ has the victory. Jesus is going to defeat the enemy. Jesus is going to defeat the forces of darkness. He is going to come and he is going to rule. Uh, Daniel 7.27 says, and the kingdom and dominion, talking about the Antichrist's kingdom and power, the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdom under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High, whose kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. Uh, that gives me hope that no matter how hard the enemy tries, God is going to come in at the right time, and he's going to take him, take over the throne, and he's going to give it to the people of God. Whatever the enemy works for, God's going to give it to us in the end, and that gives me hope. And if, if Jesus does that then, and he's going to do that then soon, then I know that he has that same kind of power right now to help bring me through my current situation. Because God does not change, and then his power does not change, and so his power does not get weaker, doesn't grow, it's the same. And so if he has the power in the future, to defeat the Antichrist and to defeat the devil in the future in a split second, he has an angel come and grab and pick up Satan and throw him in the bottomless pit. That's how, that's how big and tough Satan is. Uh, an angel comes and grabs him by the tail and just throws him in the pit. What are we afraid of? We shouldn't be afraid of the devil. We shouldn't be afraid of the darkness. Why? Because we have Jesus Christ. He is the king of kings. He has all power in heaven and in earth is in his hands, and we call upon his name. And so that means if Jesus is going to do that now, then, that means that he can do that today, right now, that he has the power to do it if he wanted to do it, which means God is in control of everything. God is in control of everything. He has the power over everything, even the situation that you are in right now. God has the power over it. Even though it might seem like God isn't present or his hand cannot be seen or, or maybe there's silence from God and he hasn't responded, he hasn't answered you, that doesn't mean that he's left you. That doesn't mean he has forsaken you. No, God is still in control and I'm here to tell you that he is watching over you and he is in the control. It's all in God's hands. It's all in his hands. There's not a force that can take you out of the hands of God. There's not a power. There's not a devil that is big enough to pull you out of the hands of almighty God uh, because our God is the greater power. 
Romans 8.35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Paul goes ahead and asks, he says, okay, we're going to get to the point. Who's going to do it? Who can do it? Uh, shall tribulation or distress, persecution, persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? I know that while we are in the middle of these things, it sure doesn't feel like that. We, it sure feels like we can be separated from him. Going through the pain and the hardship and the turmoil and the distress, it can feel like we're getting distant from God. It may feel like that we are on our own, that God isn't in control because we would have had an answer by now. He would have showed up by now. He would have uh, made a sign for us. We would have seen his hand by now. That's what our, our mind tries to play games with us and the enemy uses against us. Where's your God now? Where's your answer? You've been praying for it. Why haven't you got an answer for him? I'm here to tell you God is still in control. Even if you haven't had an answer yet, he's still on the throne. Amen. And he's going to answer in due time. Paul goes on to say, as it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all those things we are more than conquerors in him that loved us. Paul says somehow, I, I can't figure it out, it doesn't really make sense, but somehow, through it all, in the midst of it all, we come out on top. We come out more than conquerors through perils and distress and tribulations. We Somehow we're going to win. Somehow we come out on top, and that is because God is in control. And he has the power over the situation and, over, and nothing can separate us from him. He goes on to say, For I am persuaded that neither death nor life or angels or principalities, there's the devil lumped in right there, uh, or things present or things to come, nor height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. There's not a thing out there. Paul made sure he, he expanded as far as he could. I'm going to try to be as detailed as I can, cover every single category that you can think of. There's not a single thing out there that can take us away from the love of God. There's not a situation that's too grim that God cannot handle. There's not a force out there that God cannot defeat. There's not a devil out there that God cannot beat. There's not a stronghold out there that, that is too strong for the hand of God to break. And there's not a pain or a problem that's not that's out of God's control because God is in control and he's going to work it out. We're going to be victorious somehow. Somehow we're more than conquerors through it all. And so we, sometimes we try to figure it out, but it's best just to leave it to God. Say, God, you're in control, God. You're going to make a way. I've tried and figured out. I can't see it. I can't see a way out, but I know that God sees a way. And that's when we just give it to God. We just surrender to God and say, God, you take over. And so our text uh, today talks about the, the power is an example of the power that our God has. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, uh, the prophet against Elam in the beginning of the reign of Zedekiah, king of Judah, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, 
Behold, I will break the bow of Elam, the chief of their might. They were, they were really good with bows and arrows. They're a, 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 a ferocious army. Uh, and so God says, well, their greatest weapon, I'll just go ahead and break it. Uh, that's the type of power that our God has. And upon Elam will I bring the four winds from the four quarters of heaven, scatter them towards the winds, and there shall no be nation, whither the outcasts of Elam shall not come. For I will cause Elam to be dismayed before their enemies, and before them that seek their life, I will bring evil upon them, even the, my fierce anger, says the Lord, and I will send the sword after them till I have consumed them. And I will set my throne in Elam, and will destroy from thence the king and the princes, saith the Lord. That's quite the statement to make, that you're going to do that to a nation. You're going to do that to a king and princes in his throne. So the question that we're asking ourselves, who, what, where is Elam? Because I don't want to be anywhere near Elam. Uh, it's not sounding very good for them, and so... Elam was actually a, a country. It was a kingdom uh, that existed back then. Um, it wasn't just some small little nation that was kind of stuck to themselves. Uh, it was known, it, it, it was a power, powerful force, powerful nation back then. Um, we, we see an example of this uh, all the way back in Genesis 14. It came to pass in the days of Amraphel, king of Shinar. Now, Shinar is where Babylon is, uh, the plain of Shinar. Uh, so Babylon is there represented. Uh, Arioch, king of Elassar. Uh, Chidulamar, king of Elam. And Tidal, king of nations, that these made war with Bera, king of Sodom, with Bersha, king of Gomorrah. Uh, Shinab, king of Adma, and Shemember, uh, king of Zebuim. Uh, and the king of Bela, which is Zoar. All these joined together in the valley of uh, Siddim, uh, which is the Salt Sea. Twelve years they served uh, Chidolamar. In the thirteenth year they rebelled. Uh, remember King Chidolamar, uh, where was he king of? He was king of Elam. So these five kingdoms served the king of Elam for twelve years. In the thirteenth year they got tired and fed up with it. And they tried to rebel, and it didn't work out for them because uh, uh, Elam conquered them. They conquered them. Uh, and so the king of Elam controlled most of that area in the Middle East. Abram lived in the Ur of the Chaldees, which is in Shinar. Uh, and he left there, and he traveled all the way to Canaan. And all the way across that land, he, he sees the power of Elam extended uh, because Elam ruled over Sodom and Gomorrah and those other cities. And so uh, Elam was right next to Babylon, right next to uh, Shinar, the, the, the kingdom right next to it. Uh, and so clearly Elam was a powerful nation. Not mentioned uh, much except here in this time, but uh, back then Elam was a powerful nation. Uh, otherwise, why would God call them out? If they weren't all that powerful, why would God call them out and specifically say, I'm going to do that to them? Uh, Jeremiah lived in a time during the Babylonian invasion of Judah. Um, the final beacon of light, Jerusalem, the final city 
The city that God said he would place his name there uh, is being besieged by Babylon. They're being conquered by an outside force. Jeremiah was watching it being torn to pieces by King Nebuchadnezzar over the span of about 20 years. It took uh, to uh, conquer it, not that Israel was that tough, but uh, just, I guess, uh, however it worked out. But he came in three waves, uh, Nebuchadnezzar did. The first wave came in about 605 B.C., and that is when Daniel and the three Hebrew boys were taken captive, and they were taken to Babylon in 605. Jerusalem was still alive and around. It didn't it wasn't destroyed and burnt to the ground for another 20 years later. But the first wave of captives, Daniel and uh, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were carried off along with many others, were taken to Babylon. And so uh, Jeremiah the prophet is alive during this time. And he is uh, prophesying, he's calling out to uh, Israel, to their leaders, speaking, thus says the Lord, do this and this and this. He's calling out for Israel to repent. Repent before it's too late. They've already came in uh, one time, but there's a moment if you can repent and turn from your ways, maybe they won't come back. But you need to repent of your sins. But the, the leaders of Israel did not care for Jeremiah. They didn't like what he had to say because he kept saying this place is going to be destroyed. This place is going to be an ash heap. This place is going to be uh, torn down. And, and who likes hearing that, right? Uh, and so they didn't like hearing that Jerusalem would be destroyed. And so why would you listen to him? Why, instead, why don't you go to the guys that say everything's going to be okay? Everything's going to be okay. It's like, it's like an ostrich sticking his head in the sand. Like, let's... Everything's fine in here. It doesn't look, it's a little dark, but it, everything's fine. No clue what's really going on. The truth is on the outside. Jeremiah is trying to tell them the truth, but they're, they're rejecting the truth. They don't want to hear it. They want to hear the good things and the pleasant things. Well, I'm here to tell you, we need to hear the whole truth. We need to hear the absolute truth, whatever it says. If it's good or it's bad, if I need to repent, if I need to change my ways, we need to hear the whole truth, the unfiltered truth, because no matter how bad it is, we need to hear it so we can address uh, our, and change our actions if we need to. Because God is a gracious God, and he always gives space. He always gives mercy and grace. If you repent, if you turn from your ways and turn to me, I'll heal your land. I'll open up windows of heaven. It's not over until it's over. And so God gives many warning signs, and he told Israel all these times and, and things to do. And, and Jeremiah was telling them, you guys just need to repent and turn to God. And then all these things may not happen. But they didn't want to hear that. They liked hearing the good things. And so even in the midst of Jerusalem uh, being invaded and conquered, God still was giving them a window of grace that if you just repent, we can put an end to all these things. But their hearts were so hardened with pride that they did not hear. They did not want to change their ways. They kept on living and thinking that everything was going to be okay because we'll just ignore the guy who's saying it's going to be destroyed. But the same is true today, isn't it? How many people don't want to hear the truth? 
How many people would rather hear some kind of watered-down version, some easy believism, and that you just got to just, uh, just believe and go on, keep on living the way that you're living, uh, that unless they repent of their ways, they're going to die in their sins. That's what the Bible says. And, and so uh, or they, they keep on living the way that they want. They don't want to listen to that. Or, or at the very least... Maybe they'll go to a church that doesn't ever talk about the need for change or the need for repent or the need to bring a sacrifice and an offering to the Lord and, uh, or to change your ways. Just keep on doing what you're doing and God is gracious. God is gracious, but as a part of his grace, he says, you got a, you got a space to repent of your sins. You've got a moment, you've got an opportunity to get things right, to come out from among the world and be separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. And that is the message that we preach, that we are all sinners and that this world is headed for destruction and we are all in need of God's grace. And if the Bible tells us to, we need to repent of our sins, we had better repent of our sins. If it tells us we need to be baptized in Jesus' name, we better get baptized in Jesus' name for the remission of our sins. And if it tells us we need the Holy Ghost speaking in tongues, we need to get the Holy Ghost. Therefore, we become born again, born of the water and of the Spirit, and then we can enter into the kingdom of heaven, as Jesus said. And so if we listen to the word of God, if we accept the truth, no matter how hard it may be, no matter how difficult it may be on our lives, but we got to make the change. If we accept it, then our future has been changed. Our future, we now have hope. We have, now have everlasting life. We now have a promise to go to that death and destruction are no longer coming our ways. Uh, but we heard the word of God and believed it and obeyed it, and there, uh, that changed where we were headed. And I'm thankful that God gives us grace to do that. Amen? If only Israel, if only Israel had heeded to the words of Jeremiah, things may have been different. They too would have seen God's salvation, but yet they did not care. They were so far from God that they didn't want to change. So in one of Jeremiah's many messages, he prophesies about Elam. If they were a, a nation of nobodies, God wouldn't have bothered mentioning them. But the fact that God says, I'm going to set up my throne in Elam, that means they must be pretty powerful. It must be quite the nation if God says, hey, I'm going to move my throne over there in their city. Uh, and so um, history tells us that King Nebuchadnezzar conquered most of the Middle East, including Israel. But Nebuchadnezzar's dominion didn't last forever. And uh, a greater nation rose up and conquered Babylon. Uh, the Medes and Persians came and they, they conquered Babylon and they destroyed that empire. And where did the Persian king rule from? He ruled, the, the, from, he ruled from Elam. And the capital city of Elam is called Shusha. And so God said that he would establish his throne in Elam. 
A statement like that uh, doesn't mean that God is just going to pick up a ran- pick a random place and set his throne here. And, hey, this hill looks good for me to re- set my throne upon. No. Uh, when God said he's going to set his throne upon Elam and Elam, what he meant was the king that rules in there, God's going to take his throne and just set it right on top of the king's. There's an already established palace. There's already established a place of power and dominion. And God says, hey, I'm just going to come in and set my throne uh, on top of this king's throne right here. That meant that God had control over the king of Elam. You can't just say that unless you have the power to back it up, right? You can't, uh, even though he ruled from his throne, God says, I'm going to be the power behind the throne. My, my, my will is going to be done uh, from that throne in Elam. It may look like that king is in charge. But that's where I'm going to set up my throne, which is quite the claim for God to make, which uh, for us, it's like hearing God say, I'm going to set up my throne in the White House. Imagine somebody saying that. You're like, what? You're going to do what? Where? The White House? I mean, the most powerful throne in the world uh, currently. Uh, And so imagine the word of the Lord saying, I'm going to set up my throne in the White House. That gets everybody's attention. And so Jeremiah knew exactly who Elam was, and the people knew who Elam was. We don't, we don't really know much about them, uh, but uh, they were there. Um, and so you can't just claim another king's throne unless you have the power to back it up. Because, uh, I mean, that's an act of war, right? You, you try to go out there and say you're going to set up your throne in the White House, and you're going to get some uh, men in suits answering your door. That's an act of war, uh, declaring you're going to take somebody else's throne and power, and you're gonna, that means you're going to move them out of the way and dethrone them, and you're going to be in charge. Um, and, and so God says in 38, I will set my throne in Elam, and I will destroy from thence the king and princes, saith the Lord. Uh, where was the throne of Elam located in the capital city of Sushan? Now, I know that doesn't really ring a bell with anyone, um, unless you're current with your kings and countries from the ancient Near East, but Sushan may be just like Elam. We we don't really know what's in the Bible until you come across it. But uh, Shushan is the capital city uh, of Elam, where the throne would be uh, for the king, the Persian king. And, And when we see where the throne of Elam is in the Bible, you will understand the prophecy that came forth from Jeremiah. You will get what God is saying and what he is going to do. Let's go to the book of Esther, the first chapter. It came to pass in the days of Azurus. This is Azurus, which reigned from India to Ethiopia. Over 127 provinces in those days when the king Asherus sat on the throne of his kingdom, which was in Shushan, the palace. So what happened in the book of Esther? To make it short, it just so happens that the queen of Elam lost her job. She lost her job. I mean... She ignored the king's commands. He wanted to show her off to all these uh, other kings and, and, you know, big wigs. And the queen, Vashti, said, no, I'm not coming. And so what happened? She lost her job. She was no longer king. And 
uh, you know, that would have been, uh, if it wasn't his wife, she would have been dead. But I think he gave her a little bit of grace. But so the queen lost her job. And the king was looking for a replacement. And it just so happens that out of all the potential candidates for queen, I mean, think about how many applicants are for queen. Queen of the greatest empire in the world. I'm looking for a queen. It get, gets everyone's attention, right? Every single woman from India to Ethiopia, that's a lot of ground. It's a lot of people. Word goes forth that the king is looking for a queen. And you can imagine how many candidates were submitting their resumes uh, to be queen. And out of the sheer thousands, probably tens of thousands of candidates, who is chosen to be the next queen of Elam? A Jew by the name of Esther. Musician, if you would come. And, it, and, and because a decree went out that all the Jews were to be killed. And this decree came out from Elam. And according to the Medes and Persians, the king says, uh, once, the, once the Medes and Persian law is in effect, you cannot retract that. There's nothing you can do about it. Uh, and so it just so happened that all the kings, there was a date to be set for the kings, uh, for the Jews to be killed and wiped off from the face of the earth. Uh, uh, all the people of God were to be executed on one day. The whole world, boom. The nation of Israel gone. And the king of Elam was going to do this. He didn't really realize what was going on, but it came from him. It came from his throne, and so that's where the power is. But before the king of Elam came to power, years before, there was a prophecy that went forth about Elam. And it said, thus says the Lord, I will set my throne in Elam. And what do you happen to believe? That it, it came down to the, to the very last day and the door to the throne room of Elam swings open. Which is a no-no. You, can't just, you just don't barge into the king's room. You open that door and the king doesn't approve of you, you lose your head right there at the door. And so here, here comes all of a sudden the door of the throne room swings open and who comes in? Esther, the queen of Elam, a child of the Most High God. There she is in Elam of all places to be, of all places to grow up, of all places to live. You happen to be living in Shushan in Elam where the, the superpower of the Persian Empire of the day. And so here comes in the child of the Most High God. And what happens? Esther saves the entire nation of Jews because of her power and her authority over the, the throne and Elam, who you can't tell me that God is not in control. You cannot tell me that God, had, his hand is not there. He set that up a long, long time ago. God is in control even when we can't see him working. 
Even when we can't see him, he's still working. When, I, when all hope is lost, God's going to show up in the right time. Why? Because God is in control. He is a king of kings. He is a Lord of lords. And he's in control of your situation. He's in control of your pain. He's in control of your family, of your lost loved ones. God knows where they're at. We got to keep on trusting in him. We got to keep on praying to him over your job. God knows what he's doing. He's going to make a way where there seems to be no way. Why? Because God is in control. He's in control. You believe that? You stand with me today. God is in control. He'll set up his throne anywhere he wants because he can do that. He can just evict somebody. He can evict a, a, a ruling king and say, hey, it's my turn. My will is going to be done even though you're sitting on it, Elam, uh, the king of Elam. My will is going to be done. The most powerful throne in the world at that time, the throne of Elam. And God said, that's where my throne's going to be. The most powerful throne in the world at that time, the throne of Egypt. And what does God do? He sends a one of his children up ahead, a boy by the name of Joseph. I'm going to send him ahead. Uh, he's going to the throne of Egypt, of Egypt. Why? Because there's coming a time when my people are going to need to be there. And guess what? My throne is going to be in Egypt because I got a man already there. He's preparing the way. Uh, and Joseph becomes number two in Egypt, the most powerful nation in the world. Let's Israel come in and live in their best land, their most prized land. Guess who gets to live there? The people of God. Why? Because God just set his throne up in Egypt. Why? Because Joseph's in there running everything. Queen Esther's in there running everything. God's will is being done. Don't tell me that God is not in control. The most powerful throne in the world, the throne of Egypt. And God sends a baby down the Nile to grow up in the palace of Pharaoh to be raised in that place and to grow up and understand uh, uh, what's going on there so that one day he can return back and say, thus says the Lord, let my people go. It's not you on the throne. It's God's will being done here. It's not by chance. It's not by accident. It's because God is in control who is behind every throne, every king, over every Lord of lords and king of kings. It is God who is in control. Colossians 1 and 16, for by him were all things created by Jesus that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible. Whether they be thrones, God made them, or dominions, God made them, principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might pre have preeminence. And so the one that created every throne and dominion and every power who has authority over that, guess what? 
He's over the church. And don't you don't think for one second that Jesus is going to allow anything to happen to his church. Why? Because he has a power over it. He has a power over the thrones of this world, over the principalities, over dominions. God is in control. It doesn't matter what it is. God is in control. No matter the situation, no matter the setting, no matter the timing, God is in control. And he can evict whatever issue is in your life. He can step in and, and take out any stronghold that he wants because he has the power to do that. But we have to surrender ourselves to him and say, God, you have your way in my life. I'm tired of listening to the enemy. He has no power. He has no say in me. He has no throne in my life. Jesus has control. Jesus has the power to dethrone him and evict the, the authority and power. And so my question to you today is what is your Elam? What is your Elam? Who is your Elam? What principality or power is trying to mess up in your life, is trying to establish their rule in your life? The spirit of heaviness has no power over the people of God. The, the spirit of depression has no power over the people of God. God is in control. He has power over all kingdoms, all thrones, all dominions. And so he is the one in control. We need to stop listening to the enemy. We need to stop listening to the naysayers. We need to stop listening to the world. Why? They're not in control. Our God is in control, and we put our faith and our trust in him. And so I want to open up these altars today, that if whatever situation you are going through, whatever's bothering you, whatever's oppressing you or, or, or weighing you down or causing you to worry, you bring your eviction papers and say, it's time. It's time for God to step in and take control. I surrender it to God. Why? Because he's in control. Come on, bring your sickness. Bring your problem. Bring your pain. They are not in control. Jesus Christ is. Come on, there's freedom here today. We're going to lay it down at the altar. And we're going to walk out of here more than conquerors. Come on, let's worship the Lord. Let's come and give it to God. Come on, pour out your heart. Pour out your pain. Pour out your sickness. No one else will do. Come on, God is in control. Stop trying to hold on to it. Stop trying to fix it. Give it to God. Give it to him today. In this place, we're victorious. We shouldn't be depressed. We shouldn't be worried. We want you. No one else will In this place, chains, 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 chains are broken. What is your problem? We're buying together today. One mind, one accord. 
release our faith here
Yes, hallelujah. Mm. Oh, yeah. We worship you, God. We worship you, God. We worship you. We thank you, Lord. We say, Waymaker, Waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God. That is who you are. Oh, we cry, way maker, sing. Way maker, miracle work. Yeah. Promise keep light in the darkness. Release it. God, Release the sound. That is who you are. Oh, can I say, way maker, way maker, yes. Way maker, miracle worker. Promise keep light in the darkness. 
open and shut them. No man can shut. Man, so I think we need to go home and we need to send some eviction papers to the things that are in our lives that are worrying us and cause us to stress and, and, and be depressed. They're not in control. Jesus Christ is in control. And we are a child of the Most High God. Amen. And His throne is established here in the earth. Amen. And we are going to let Him rule and reign. Amen. It's just a lot easier when we surrender to God because he can do it all. Amen. Amen. God bless you all. Thank you all for coming today. Let's go and live in victory because we are more than conquerors in these things. Amen. God bless you all. You're dismissed today in Jesus' name.